It is good to be back with you today. Um, I truly have uh, missed you for the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's good to be home. It's good to be back worshiping with you, and uh, excited about some things that I want to share with you today. I, I really want to share with you over the next four weeks. And this is one of those where I know it's summertime, so people are on the move, people are taking vacations, people are doing all this stuff. I, I'm encouraging you, especially with this series, to just at least uh, try to get all four. Because sometimes when we, when we teach like this, sometimes we do, if you only get one, it doesn't sometimes completely make sense of how it all works together. And so I, I really am encouraging you to... Uh, at least do the best you can. Maybe over the next four weeks, maybe you got to watch it online, uh, however that works, but I'm excited to share. My girls came to me and said, Dad, you got to see this movie. You got to see this movie. It's called The Greatest Showman. Now, they know me. They know me. They know the kind of movies that I like, right? So suddenly I'm in this dilemma. Because I don't completely live under a rock. I know that The Greatest Showman is a musical. Now, I'm not opposed to musicals, but, I mean, you can really hit or miss with that deal, right? And if you've ever been to one that misses, you know how painful that can be. It's like, it's a musical. However, one of the guys singing is Wolverine. Right? Okay, I, I, think we can, I think we can give this a shot. So come to find out, the music is good, um, especially Wolverine. He's, he's fantastic, right, in the movie. But the key for me was the storyline. Now, what I mean by that, I'm not saying the key was the storyline because of all the twists in the movie. Because I don't think there are any twists in the movie, to be honest. I, I'd normally like movies that have twists. I like all of a sudden to be surprised and go, oh, didn't see that one happening. That's not what this movie's like. It's like, it's, it's kind of predictable for me. It's also not, I don't like the storyline just because uh, I, I think it's probably a bit, you know, fantasy. I'm not sure that it's exactly how all of the story happened in real life, but here's why the storyline's key for me. Because I think it relates to every human heart. As soon as I saw it, it's like this, this is every human heart. Because for most of us, <laughs> applause is the drug of choice. No, it is. <laughs> applause tends to be the drug of choice because we all like to be celebrated. We really do. There, there's a part of us that loves being known. There's a part of us that, that wants to make sure we're always standing on a platform where we are respected. We, 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 we want to be important to people. We, we want our work to be appreciated. And I'm saying this has always been the case of the human heart. It just so happens we live in a day that our ability to pursue that has increased dramatically because even if you don't really have anything worth saying, if you own a smartphone, you can tell all of us all that stuff that you don't have anything worth saying, right? 
I mean, we can know everything from where you eat to, right? I mean, it's like that, that's the world we live in. So here's, here's what I want to paint for you today. For Jesus followers, for us Jesus followers, this drug of applause has some nasty side effects. The side effects go like this. If, if you too long build your life on this, you will soon stop recognizing that your identity is in your Redeemer. If you buy in too long to this drug of choice, what will happen is the motives in your life will no longer be shaped by Scripture. And your schedule will be filled to the brim as you search. Guided by this desire for an American story of success worthy of applause. And I'm saying, when I saw the movie, it's like, this is our search. This is what we do. We search and we search and we search, and the search always requires more. And whatever stage upon you choose to make that search, this craving in us, this hearty appetite for our own prominence leads us dangerously toward the lie that success or fame or money or acclaim or applause Everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's here right in front of you. Wolverine sings it better. <laughs> so this talk series is about a better craving. This talk series is about a better show. It's the greatest show. And his name is Jesus. I am choosing today not to show you their faces. I'm not going to show you their faces for their protection. But I have recently, having been gone from you, had the chance to sit down with them to look into their eyes to hear their stories, to hear their heart. And I can confirm to you the stories of the Jesus followers in the country of Nepal. They are facing persecution from the Hindus in that country. By persecution, I mean sometimes they are even being put in prison. But you know what I saw? I saw this almost unbelievable love for Jesus. I, I saw this most remarkable belief that they have in Jesus. I saw this boldness in them to make Jesus' great name known in that whole country, even in the midst of persecution. And the reason is because there's no glory like Jesus' glory. This is the greatest show. I will show you these faces. These are the faces of the children of Myanmar. This is 115 kids 
who are living in the, the Project Nick shelter in the country of Myanmar. They represent about seven different tribes, seven different uh, people groups, all of them without parents. Now, I, I know this is kind of hard to do, but I'm asking you to at least just try to grasp a little bit of this. I'm saying I'm standing in front of these 115 kids of whom I know none of them have parents in the sense that this is 115 stories of brokenness. Any one of those 115 kids, their story you transplant it in our culture, and it suddenly becomes a story that it is acceptable for anybody to just check out on life. If this is what happened to you, if this is what you've been through, we would all go, okay, we understand why you just check out on life. I'm saying all the heartbreak, all the brokenness, all the pain in this one room. And yet... They sing. Did you recognize the words? Probably not, unless you know Burmese. But you did recognize the tune. How great thou art. And I'm just asking the question, how can that be? How can it be that 115 kids find themselves in a shelter because they have no home, they have no parents. Most of them have experienced the loss of their fathers being killed in a civil war in their country. And then either their mothers also die or their mothers upon their father's death end up abandoning their children. Which, to hear that, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how to process that, but it almost feels worse than somebody leaving you because they die would be somebody leaving you just because they choose to abandon you. And I'm saying, how can that be a room with such brokenness, a room with such pain, and from their lips, oh God, how great thou art. And I'm telling you, the answer is because there's nobody like this God, and there is no glory like his glory. This is the greatest show. And when you see it, you know it. I want you to know today there is no greater show than the glory of God. No greater show. No matter what anybody ever does on a stage, no human being is ever going to begin to compare to the glory of our God. Now, okay, what does that mean? What, what is the glory of God? If you come to church, you hear about the glory of God. How do you define that? What, what does that mean? Well, this is a challenge. 
It's sort of like if you ask me, hey, Jeff, could you describe a basketball? I can handle that. Right? I can handle that. I can tell you what it looks like. I can, I can describe the shape. I can, I can even tell you a little about what it, what it feels like. I can describe how when you inflate that basketball, how, how it suddenly has the ability to, to bounce and how you can dribble it and how you can throw it. I can describe how you, how you shoot it into what at one time was a basket, thus why we call it basketball. I, I could describe all of that to you. But if you said, Jeff, explain beauty. Hmm. Well, that's a little harder. The difficulty is trying to find a few words to, to put that together, to try to describe. It would be easier if you would just walk with me, and then when it happens, I'm like, that's it. That's beautiful. Right? You walk along with me, and we see some. I'm like, that's beauty. That's it. And as we walk along, you, you see it. Well, when we talk about the glory of God, we often use the word greatness. What are we talking about? We're saying God has infinite perfection. He has infinite greatness. He has infinite worth. So try to put that into words. Try to describe that to somebody. Well, fortunately, God has designed this that there are moments we can say, there it is. There it is. Because the Bible says that in creation, even, when you see the rivers and the lakes, the mountains, the canyons, the beaches, the oceans, the sunsets, when you look into a night filled with stars, the Scripture says, he spoke that, into being, and he shouts from it, I am great. We see those things, something beautiful, a sunset over a mountain range, a, a, a sunset over right an ocean, and there's something within us that feels small. And there's some part of that that, 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 that that says there's got to be something bigger than me. And yet, even to see this, as beautiful as it is, it does not fill the void. This is the way I describe it. It's almost as if God is saying, you see the most beautiful picture. Let it be a sunset. Let it be a sunrise. Let it be a mountain range. Let it be a beach. Whatever it is. And God says, my glory it's just like this, but only better if you know who I am. It's like this, but only better if you actually know who I am. His glory can also be seen in his holiness. By God's holiness, I'm saying God, his glory, it is the moral, ethical standard by which all humankind is judged. That's why sin is described to us as falling short of the what? The glory of God. His holiness is that standard. The Bible asks that who can stand in the presence of God because we know our God hates sin. And the fact that he hates sin screams the fact that he is great and that he loves us because he sees what sin does to us. So he hates it and he judges it and one day he will destroy it. We look at his holiness and we go, there it is. 
That's, that's his glory. We, we look at creation and we go, there it is. That's his glory. But if you will read the first part of your Bible, it's called the Old Testament, it's the first part, you will see moments where God also gave his people these, these incredible experiences where they could go, there it is, there's his glory. The Hebrews described it, there was a word they used to describe it, it was the Shekinah glory of God. And, and it was, sometimes God would, would, would demonstrate his glory through fire, sometimes it, it might be a flame, Some, sometimes it was a cloud. Now, don't misunderstand God is everywhere. He, he, is, he is all present in the sense that time and space does not, it, it does not contain God. He contains it all. But then there are moments where God chooses to show up in a certain way that we can see he's right here in front of me. And he would do that like a burning bush or a cloud in the sky, or a pillar of fire, right? And, and those were all this, this picture of the Shekinah glory of God. He would guide them through the wilderness. He would, he would sometimes settle over the tabernacle or the temple, and then there was the moment that his glory departed because of their sin, and the people were in slavery. And it was the prophet Ezekiel who declared... The next time you see his glory, it's not going to be a cloud, and it's not going to be a pillar of fire. It's going to be a man, and we now know his name. His name is Jesus. And Hebrews says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. And he chose to become like us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He chose to die as our substitute. He chose to, to rise victorious that he could now live in us. Now get this. God, infinite perfection, infinite greatness, infinite worth that even today lives in some of you. I'm saying if you had eyes to see the glory of God, you would see this room full. And if you could see the glory of God, you know that little offer that was made earlier? We would all be running. We would all be running to fall on our face because if you ever see the glory of God, It will suddenly become your consuming passion that the people around you see him too. The urgency, the passion, if we could see him, and here's the deal. The Scripture says we can. The the Scripture says we can see him. I, I want you to understand that there is no greater show than the glory of God. Therefore, 
there is no greater life than one lived for the purpose of declaring God's greatness. There is a better craving than the applause of people. It is this craving for the, the greatness of a God who is, who is infinite, a God who, who loves more than you can even imagine, a, a, a God who, right here in, in, in front of you. Our goal today is not for us to leave here today saying, you know, I, I just need to curb my appetite for applause. No, what, what we want to see God do in us is a whole new appetite, a whole new craving that knows there is a show that is above all shows. It is His glory. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you have ever chased applause, what you discovered is there is never enough. If you chase applause, you will discover there's, there's never enough. It will never be enough to fill what is lacking inside of you. But what Jesus says is when you hunger of his glory, when you hunger for his righteousness, he says you will be filled. What, what I'm calling you to today is to cultivate such a desire. And this is what I mean. We have all experienced growth cultivating an appetite for success. We have. We've all grown in it. What I mean by that is when you taste a little bit of success, there, there is a part of us that we are hooked, and we want it, and we desire it, we seek it. When we get it, the, the, the world around us applauses, and, and applauds, and so we may wear a different mask in terms of how we pursue it, but, but it, it's, it's there. And isn't it funny how we, we know we can cultivate that. We, we can grow in our ability to pursue success. Here, here's what I want us to think about today. I want you to cultivate an appetite for beholding the greatness of Jesus. Cultivate an appetite for beholding the greatness of Jesus. Spiritual appetites, they require beholding him. Here's what, you understand, your life is fulfilled when your life is staring at Jesus. It is. Your life is most fulfilled when your life is staring at Jesus. You, you, your life has meaning when you are locked in on, on Jesus, when your mind's attention, when your heart's affection is on him, beholding him. But here's what we got to see. Beholding requires some patience. So cultivate an appetite for beholding the greatness of Jesus, his glory, but know that patience is required for beholding the greatness of Jesus. Now, we hate the P word, don't we? I mean, we hate patience. We hate patience. Most of us just drive somewhere, and you can prove we, we hate patience. But I'm telling you, patience is required if you want to see the glory of God because what Scripture paints is it requires time, it requires some attention, it requires some priority. Check out this verse. I love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Look at what this says. I'm not making this up. Check, check it out. And we all... 
who with unveiled faces. Now, who are the people with unveiled faces? They are the people of God. They are the people who have put their trust in Jesus. We we are no longer separated from him where an enemy has blinded our eyes from, from the truth of his glory, but we are a people where the veil has been lifted and we are able to see. We all who with unveiled faces, you ready? Contemplate what? The Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So here's the deal. How do we become more like Jesus? Well, of course, you got to work at it. Right? You, you got you to work at it. You got you to work at becoming more like Jesus. You got you to earn this thing of becoming more like Jesus. Nope. This is, this is where it gets really tricky for us because every other part of our life, that tends to be how things work. He doesn't say you do this by doing something. He says this happens by you being. This is not about some mechanical steps. This is about resting in what God has called us and his promise to make us more of what he already says we are. So who am I? Well, believe it or not, he says I'm holy. I know. You're like, how can you be holy? Jesus. That's it. Because I got plenty of stuff that I can stack up and tell you where I've done wrong, plenty of stuff where, where my motives haven't been right, where my actions haven't been right. How can I possibly be holy? Jesus. And he declares that I am. He declares that I am forgiven. He declares that I am blameless. If anybody's putting blame on me today, it's not Jesus, it's an enemy. That's who I am. I am a son of this king. I am his family. It is the truth of who I am. How in the world am I supposed to believe that in the middle of a world that everything else around me tells me I got to do better and tells me I got to work harder? It tells me I got to climb the ladder. It tells me I got to produce more. Everything else around me says I have to do, 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 do. And, and he goes, no. No. Jeff, you need to cultivate the kind of patience necessary to be able to rest in the power of my spirit and behold my greatness. And when you behold my greatness, your affections will be arrested on me. Your wants, all that will be curbed toward me. But that takes time. It takes time to behold Jesus. It takes time to see wondrous things. So, so Jeff, what, what you're saying then is we do nothing. No. I'm saying he says we behold him. That's what we do. There is this misconception, I think, in a lot of Jesus followers that goes like this. When a, when a person, right, is supposed to, to, to be a Jesus follower, the love of God 
should just somehow spontaneously erupt in a Christian's life. I mean, it should just be that, that the love of God, just like a volcano, right, erupts in our life. And yet we understand that with every other desire, we cultivate it. I mean, sometimes we put time and attention into planning a party. Why do you plan a party? Because it makes you happy, right? You, you, you put time and, and attention into maybe a weekend getaway. Some of you right now are like, that would be nice, right? Why, why, would, you put, why would you do that? Because it'll make you happy. You, you put time and attention into a vacation. Why? Because you believe that's, that's going to bring joy to your life. Well, how, how does this work? I'm saying it's the same way with, with a spiritual appetite. We, we just sort of all assume that somehow the love of God is just going right, to sprout in our life. It's, it's going to overflow. Now, don't misunderstand me. You are not the one that generates the love of God. It is the Holy Spirit who pours out his love into your heart. But the part that you and I get to be a part of is God says, so behold it. Behold what is right in front of you. Look at this greatness with intention, with patience. Sit in this and take in who he is in his greatness. Because if you don't see him with the eyes of your heart, then you are not really going to fear God with a holy fear. I'm not talking about fearing God with a cringing fear. I'm saying to realize that he's God and nobody else is. If you don't fear God, then you will be overcome with fear by all kinds of other stuff around you. And if you don't see him with the eyes of your heart, then you're going to end up making the aim of your life your renown instead of his. So here's a few prayers. I didn't think these up. The psalmist a long time ago, this is how he wrote it. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. How many of y'all know that verse? How many of you have ever heard that verse? It's like, how often do you pray that? So here's your prayer. God, God, would you open my eyes? God, would you open my eyes? Because you say that's what you want to do. God, would you open my eyes? And would you develop a patience in me that can see wonderful things from your word? I dare you to pray it. Dare you to pray it. God, will you open my eyes and create a patience in me that can see wonderful things from your word? I got some more. How about Psalm 139? Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Here's my prayer. God, 
would you set this humility thing straight in me? Seriously. God, would you, would you do something in my heart that no longer needs to crave the applause of men, but God, would you help me to believe who I am, fearfully and wonderfully made in you, but I'm, I can rest in that because the overarching picture you've given my heart is how wonderful you are. How about Psalm 135? Your name, Lord, endures forever. You're renowned, Lord, through all the generations. God, God, would you please help me that the aim of my life will not be about my renown, but it will be about you. There's no greater show than the glory of God. There is no greater life than one lived for the purpose of declaring his greatness. So cultivate an appetite for beholding the greatness of Jesus. I, it's like, when is the last time you intentionally are thinking about, God, I want to see how great you are? I want to see. God, give me eyes, the eyes of my heart that can see how great you are. And now here's what I'm telling you, patience is required. God will not let you just work this into your busy schedule. He won't. And man, I'm so grateful. Listen to what I'm telling you. God will not let you just work this into your busy schedule. Because that's, that's kind of how we sometimes, it's like, God, okay, I got this going on, and I got this going on, I got this, and I got, I got all this going on. God, I need, to see, I need to see your greatness in the middle of all this. And it's almost this picture of, God, if we could work this in, I got like five minutes here, and I got, I got ten minutes this morning. God, he will not let you work this into your busy schedule. His design is that his glory becomes the busyness of your schedule. That's his design. His glory becomes the busyness of your schedule. And I realize we, we, are, so, we are so programmed. We really are. It is so hard as we walk it out in this world. But I'm telling you, there is coming a day. There is coming a day that we are going to believe it full well. Oh, I wish. I wish that the glory of God had been the factor in my life that determined the priorities that I set in my life. I, I wish that it had been the, the glory of God in my life that had determined the next decisions that I need to make. I wish that it had been the greatness of God who set my calendar. I wish it had been the glory of God. There's coming a day where we will see. But I'm telling you, you don't have to wait for that day. He says, I will give you eyes to see. But this requires patience. I guess part of what I'm telling you today is if you want to be a part of the greatest show, it means we pursue obscurity. We do. And if that bothers us, then we probably haven't seen the glory of God. 
But in order for his greatness to be seen, we, we pursue obscurity. Not because we're not valuable. He's already told us that he created us fearfully, wonderfully made. It is the fact that I am at rest in the value that I have in my God who is all valuable. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, don't think less about yourself, but think about yourself less. I can get that. I can get that. This is not about thinking less about yourself. This is not about less value. It's just, I don't need to think about myself as much. You know why? Because I'm thinking about God, and I'm seeing his greatness. I pursue obscurity in order that his greatness might be seen. Let me just give you some verses as we kind of close this out. Paul once said to, first, to, the, to the people in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Yeah. If we're going to boast, let's boast in him. And apparently, the Corinthians must have been like me, and they needed to hear it more than once, because when he gets to 2 Corinthians, another, part, another letter that he sends to them, this is, what he re- this is what he writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Like, Paul, didn't you already say that? It's like, yeah, you need to hear it again. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but it's the one whom the Lord commends. I love the way the message puts this. This is the way the message reads in 2 Corinthians 10. If you want to claim credit, claim it for God. What you say about yourself means nothing in God's work. It's what God says about you that makes the difference. Man, if you would just believe what God says about you. It's like, how do I believe? It is beholding his greatness. My greatest security, my greatest joy, it is to be loved by him. That does not mean we are to live life in seclusion. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Like, wait a minute, how are we going to do that? How, how are we supposed to live our lives in such a way that our good deeds are seen, and yet we're supposed to pursue obscurity so that they see him? How do we do that? I want to encourage you a little bit today and tell you that if you were a part of a church that never did squat, you wouldn't have to worry about that, Right? I mean, if, if you were a part of a people who never did anything, like there were no, never any good deeds, there were no, then, then you really wouldn't have to worry about it, right? Because nobody's looking. That's not your case. Because there are some of you here who really do love Jesus, and there are some of you here who really are passionately wanting to follow him. There are some of you here who are going to walk away from a day like today, and and you are going to, with all your heart, pray that God will give you patience to behold his greatness. Even though you don't understand all that, the first thing you want to do is do. You want to do stuff and do stuff, but okay, this is what he says. I'm going to trust him. You're going to do it. But there are some of you that you are so bold in following him. I I had the privilege last couple weeks, a part of what I did when I was away was to join with a group from here who got to step into some schools, public schools in the country of Taiwan. 
and we got to introduce Jesus. That's what we do. Public schools introduce Jesus. It gets packaged in terms of careers and people's dream jobs and that sort of stuff, but we get to introduce Jesus. And um, the team, I mean, they just knocked it out of the park. They did. It was fantastic. Um, I brought a few um, pictures of the proof of that. Check this out. This is, isn't that, isn't that pretty? It's like, that's, that's just cool looking. That's impressive. Um, it, it's one of the junior high schools presents this certificate of appreciation, thanking the Heart of Life Church for providing us with English career courses. You helped our students develop their life planning. You have benefited our school so much. This certificate is a show of our appreciation. That's nice. As was this one. Certificate of Appreciation thanking Heart of Life Church USA. It's a public school thanking for what was for what was done. As was this one. As was this one. As was this one. And and this one. And this one. And this one. And this one. Okay, that's it. Okay. Anybody do anything wrong? No. I watched people pour out their heart genuinely in front of classrooms. Nothing wrong with that. Anything wrong from a school's perspective of showing appreciation? No. You just understand the tension that we feel between desiring to pour out our lives, that people will see a light, and then the tendency for them to applaud us. Like, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How about, how about a team who heads to, to Togo? I mean, how cool was that to hear from, from Kevin and just that whole team who's been going there for a period of time? And we're going to plant a church in Togo. We're going to plant a church in, a, in an unreached people group, a, a, a chief of, of the tribe who's given us land to be able to do that. How, how cool is that? I mean, we, we, we applaud that, right? And yet we feel the tension between we want to do things that the light shines and yet when we feel the applause, it's like this tension that it creates in us. I, I could, I could like make up like a dozen of them here today. It could be all kinds. I, I, just thinking about uh, some of the stuff when I'm, when I'm on the plane, uh, even flying home, I, I, I thought about even the, the whole LinkedIn. There, there was about, I think, three, and I'm probably going to miss some, but I know like Lori and Holly and, and Taylor who had this picture of, you know, all the stuff that we're doing with the vault. Well, what if we could back it up and actually do some of that with, with, with you know, grade school kids? And so they, they put together, they got this vision from God, and then they put together a plan, and then the next thing you know, they actually do it, and like 30 kids show up on the first one, and their parents are there watching what's going on, and I'm going, yes, 
I'm saying I could, I could pick a whole bunch of those examples because you are a people who step forward. The, the key is, as we step forward and as the light shines and, and as the applause tends to come, how do we deal with that? The way we deal with it is we walk in that tension with a life that is beholding the greatness of God. You have to behold the greatness of God. There, there, there has to be a patience in you that, that will take the time. I, God, I want to see your greatness, and when that happens, I'm not going to settle for anything less. This is real. This is the greatest show. This is where the greatest joy is found. It's where the greatest fulfillment is found. It is where the greatest peace comes to your heart because he, Jesus, is everything you ever want. And he is everything you ever need. And he's right here in front of you. Shouldn't it seem obvious for us to live in a culture where we have so much? We got so much stuff. We got so much stuff. I mean, we, we really do, most of us, have more than we even need. And yet, there is an anxiousness, there is fear, there is worry, and still this feeling of there's got to be something I'm missing. And then every once in a while, we get the chance to look into the eyes of some people who have nothing. They got nothing. They, they have no money. They have no home to call their own. The only clothes on their back are clothes that were given to them. All of their belongings can fit into one little box. They have experienced loss through death. And they have experienced abandonment from the people who should have loved them the most. And yet, they say, Give us eyes that can see. God, will you open the eyes of our heart that we might see your greatness? God, I don't think I'm stretching here to believe that, God, I, I am a part of a group of people here that there are so many times, God, the applause of people 
God, the, the chase for success, the, the chase to be respected, the, the, the chase to be important, God, all that we chase after. And yet right in front of us, it's you. God, I'm asking, I'm asking you to do what needs to be done, God, in my heart, in, in our heart, in, in the life of this church, God, that you would, God, slow us, that you would give us patience to behold. And God, I, I know, God, we're just, we're just wrestling with all that, even this morning. It's like we want to do something. God, what do we do? And you're going, no. God, you, you want us to see you. God, will you, will you slow us down? God, we, we want to be a people who declare your greatness. God, we, we want to be a people who pursue obscurity. God, we, we, don't, we don't care if our name is known. We want your name to be known. God, I'm asking you to give us eyes that can see today and that we could behold. Give us your heart. God, please. Give us your heart. May we know how great you are.